Now, good morning, brothers and sisters. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 3 in the New Testament. We're going to be around verse 12 in just a few minutes. We continue walking through the book of Colossians together this morning. I'm going to take just a couple minutes at the beginning to set the stage of what we're going to be looking at and reading here in just a few seconds. But I think one of the greatest promises in the gospel message, one of the great promises in the New Testament, is the promise of change. Now, not that God promises to change your uncomfortable circumstances or what we might be experiencing, that's not the point, but throughout the New Testament and throughout the Bible is this promise to all believers in Christ that God is progressively, most definitely, working to change you from the inside out. We are all in process together. Places like 2 Corinthians 5 says that the Father, God, is working. We are being transformed into the very likeness of Jesus Himself. Places like Romans 8 says that He is most definitely working to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ His Son. Meaning... God is changing us, His people, from the inside out. That is continually taking place. And in a moment of absolute honesty before you, let me tell you how encouraging that is to me personally. Because if we were all real honest with each other here this morning, we all live with gaps in our lives, don't we? So what do you mean by that? Well, we know what the Bible says in some places, and we hear the promises of Scripture, and we have these aspirations, and we know, for example, I I know how, as a follower of Christ, I want to treat and love and honor my wife. But then Monday comes, and there's a gap. I know, based on Scripture and in my heart, because Christ is in me, how I want to treat and raise and discipline and nurture my children I I want to be that kind of dad and then Tuesday evening and Wednesday evening and Saturday comes and there's a gap anybody relate to that I know what kind of person I want to be I want how I want to treat others I I know the picture that the Bible holds out there I, I know the model of generosity that I want to be I know the model of compassion that I want to be I know the courage that I want to have and the boldness and I'm a pastor, the, the leadership that I want to manifest. And I, ha- I have this in my mind. I, I know what Scripture says, and there's gaps, right? Thank God for the promise that God is progressively and most definitely narrowing those gaps. He's changing us. Now, what's hard about that is, is the change that He promises in us is never easy, and it's rarely quick. Right? But it's a promise nonetheless. He promises to be transforming us and growing us into the image, into the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. And it kind of helps you help you picture this a little bit. I'm going to go back in time, and some of you will show your age maybe and remember this. Many years ago, there was a really popular TV show and became a movie, I think, but it was called The the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Anybody ever heard of that or saw that? Yeah, a few of you are going to be honest. Yeah. 
So if you don't know what that is, the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, there's a story about these teenage superheroes who had the ability to morph. In other words, in certain situations, these normal, regular, adolescent teenage boys, if there is such a thing as a normal, adolescent teenage boy, anyway, had the power in certain situations to morph. And they would take on these supernatural powers. They became these martial arts experts for justice. The mighty Morphin Power Rangers. They would literally be transformed into something they were not before. And it would happen. They had this little mantra. And their mantra, if you know it, I'm not going to ask you to say it together. It's a little corny. But their mantra was this. It's Morphin time. Anybody remember that? It's Morphin time. I said, okay, man, it's time to, to morph, to, to change into something we were not before. Morphing time. <laughs> so when I thought about that little illustration, I thought, in a sense, Paul, the apostle, is saying to the church at Colossae, all right, guys, it's morphing time. <laughs> it's morphing time. We're, we're in a section of Scripture in Colossians chapter 3 where Paul gets really practical, I mean painfully practical in the everyday details of life. And he's speaking to a group of believers and he's reminding them of who they are in Christ, what Christ has done. He spends two chapters, chapter one, chapter two. Here's what's true of you in the gospel. Here's what's true of you in Christ. You've been redeemed. You've been forgiven. Christ in you. You're a new creation. Raised to walk in the newness of life. All these things that are true That's Paul's pattern. Here's what's true. Then you will live out of what's true. That's the way the gospel works. The gospel does not work this way. I'm going to live a certain way to become right with God. Doesn't work that way. The gospel works this way. God makes me right with himself in Christ so I can live a certain way. That's the gospel. So Paul spends two chapters talking about here's what's true. Here's what the gospel teaches. Here's what's true about you, every believer. And then he gets real practical and says, okay, this is, gonna, this is gonna flush out into every area of your life. It's morphin' time. He's gonna use an analogy of getting dressed, if you will. He uses this phrase over and over of putting on and taking off. It's the idea of, okay, you're a new person, you're a new creation from the inside out. Christ is in you. There's gonna be some residue of your old way of living, old habits, old ways of thinking, old attitudes consistent with your old man, your old nature, and you're to put those things aside. Lay those things aside. It's a progressive, ongoing battle with our old habits, our old way, our old sin. And then he says, because you're in Christ, put on. These new characteristics, this new way of living. And what you're putting on is the very character of Christ himself. So with all that in mind, look with me. I'm going to read a few verses and then we're going to make some application to our life. Colossians 3, 12 through 17. I'm going to read this. You can follow along. It'll be on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in front of you. If you need a Bible, that's our gift to you. Uh, Colossians 3, 12. Here's what Paul writes. So. Yes, I'm going to stop right there. So, in other words, what I'm getting ready to say is in light of everything I've just said. So, here we go. As those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, put on kindness, put on humility, put on gentleness, put on patience. All those are characteristics of Christ himself. We'll talk about that in a minute. Thirteen. Bearing with one another. Here's where it gets really practical. 
bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, stop right there. Anybody had a complaint against anyone this week? Just me. Okay, got it. Just as, in the verse 13, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Wow. Beyond all these things, put on love. Beyond all these things. The word beyond means above or on top of. On top of all these things, the capstone of all of it is love. Supernatural, kingdom-like, Christ-like love in you. Not sentimentality, not emotionalism. The love that is demonstrated and poured in your heart by Christ. What does it look like? And then he gets, oh man, 15 and 16 are so rich. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Oh, we're going to talk about that, what that means. To which you were called in one body and be thankful. Verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing with thankfulness in your heart to the Lord. Whatever, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name or consistent with the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks through him to God the Father. Wow. So Paul, is change possible? Is transformation possible when I look at my life and I see where I am and there's gaps exist in my life? Paul is going to say to these Colossians and to us, okay, okay, real practical. It's morphing time. What does it look like as God progressively and is most definitely conforming us to the image of Christ? I'm going to give you three vital truths taken right out of these verses here. Number one is this. Vital truth number one. Transformation, change, from the inside out, is possible because of our new identity. Paul says change in the practicalities of life, your attitudes, your behaviors, the way you see things, the way you see yourself, your capacity to love, etc., etc., etc. All that is that change is possible, and the reason it's possible is because of your new identity. You're not who you used to be. You're not all you're going to be in Christ, but you're not who you used to be. Verse 12, he says, so here's your new identity. He says, you're chosen of God, you are holy, and you are beloved. That's your identity. That's what's true of every believer in Christ. Listen to these. He says, number one, you're chosen of God. Listen, that ought to... That ought to reshape the way we look at ourselves, the way we understand the gospel, the way we understand the big picture. He says, you, every believer, you are chosen of God. You are a son and a daughter. You are a son or a daughter adopted into his family, a new creation because of God's choosing of you. You did not stumble into this thing called Christianity. You did not wake up one morning and go, you know what? I think I'm going to consider the claims of God. That's what it manifested like. But the fact was, the reason that took place is because God chose you. You're chosen of God. That means incredible value for you as a believer that the God of the universe chose you. You say, 
That's why it's crazy. One commentator said, No one is born again solely by his own choice, but only in response to God's effectual, free, uninfluenced, and sovereign choice. When did God make this choice? Well, you know, when I was about 13 years old, I kind of got my act together, and I started putting things together, and I kind of obeyed all the Ten Commandments, and God looked down and said, Man, Mike's got it together. I like that guy. I'm going to choose him. Nope. Not the way it works. So how do you know that? Listen to this. Ephesians 1 verse 4 says, Just as He, God, chose us in Him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. I don't know about you, but I wasn't around trying to do good at the foundation of the world. Anybody? God hadn't even created anything yet. And God sovereignly chose to save to redeem, chose you. Listen, you need to understand, you're part of a huge, magnificent purpose of God that began way before the world started and is going to carry on way beyond the world is over. God is choosing and God has drawn you to himself. If you're here and you're a believer, here's what that means. God gets the credit. (laughs) If you think, well, man, you know, I'm just smarter than those heathens and those pagans over there. They just get their act together. Here's what you have to take credit in, sinning. (laughs) the Bible says God by his grace chose you brought you into his family for a purpose why Ephesians I'll read it again to the praise of the glory of his grace he freely bestowed upon us in the beloved he said he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless so Paul says here he says you've been chosen of God you're holy meaning he set you apart You're not like the rest of the world. This is a positional holiness before God, and it's a practical holiness in the world that the world says, man, there's something different about that guy. What's different? Well, I'm smarter, I'm trying harder. Nope, Christ in you. Christ in you. He says, you're chosen of God, you're holy, and then listen to what he says. He says, you are beloved. Beloved. Listen, if you want to circle a word, you want to meditate on a word, man, don't don't let this one get past you. He says, right now, as a believer, here's what is true of you now. You are beloved of God. God's unchanging posture toward those who are in Christ. Objects of perfect, incomprehensible, unchanging love. God has set his love on you. And it won't change. You say, well, I must have done something to earn that. No, if you think you did something to earn it, watch this. You can do something to lose it. Grace. Grace. What's my part? Believe. Trust. So if you're here and you're wrestling with the things of God and you're not a believer and you're trying to figure all this stuff out, listen, here's what that means. If you're wrestling with those questions, the God of the universe is working in your life. What is your responsibility? Believe. Trust, faith. Paul says, listen, you need to know something. He he reminds them of their identity. He says, practical everyday change in your life is possible because of your new identity. You're chosen of God. You're holy. You're beloved. You're set apart. And listen, don't get these reversed or you have a cheap substitute to the gospel message. You have, I'm going to work, I'm going to labor, I'm going to earn to get a position of acceptance before God. That is not the gospel message. The gospel message is, in Christ I'm freely accepted, in Christ I'm made right with God, therefore I live from that. Don't get the two mixed up. 
There are plenty of voices out there screaming, rally, do hard, do more, try harder, get it done, and maybe God will love you. That is not the message of Paul. That's not the message of the gospel. God in his grace has sovereignly and freely elected you because of nothing you've done, good or bad. And we live from that position of acceptance and belovedness of God. He chose us before the foundation of the world. You're part of something massive. So he says, in light of that, live. Live. L- live how, Paul? What, what, what are you saying? It says, verse 12, he says, put on. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. The word put on means to adorn yourself. It means to put on clothes. It means to be enveloped in. It is a command. It is something that we pursue. And here's what this means. Vital truth number two. We are called to actively pursue ongoing transformation resulting in ever-increasing Christ-likeness. Did you get all that? It's a mouthful. God saves, God redeems, God is sanctifying, God is working to make you like Christ. He is doing it, and yet at the same time, I'm to pursue it. Explain that. I can't. The two go together. They don't compete. They go together. Put on. Just put on. Put on what? Now, he said earlier in chapter 3, if you've been reading through this and studying through this on your own, or maybe reading it in your life group, or whatever the case is, he says, as a believer... There's some things to put off. But part of, the, part of the growth toward Christ's likeness, he says in verse 3, or chapter 3, 5 and 8, I'm going to take the rhyme to read it. He says, consider as dead immorality and impurity and passion, greed, evil desires. Put those things aside. He says, put off anger and wrath and malice and slander and abusive speech because that's not who you are anymore. He says, but now as a child of God, put on. Here's a word picture for you. It's like a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. He said, that's the cheesiest thing I've ever heard. Well, just hang with me here and listen. For a caterpillar to become a butterfly, a metamorphosis took place. It became something it was not. But that butterfly had to shed the old skin of that caterpillar. Imagine a butterfly groveling on the ground with the old skin of the caterpillar wrapped around it. And you go, what's wrong with you, man? Shed that old skin. That's not who you are anymore. When we wrestle with sin, we grovel with sin, we give over to it. It's like, that's not who you are. Shed that. You have the power now. And you have the power to put on the character of Christ. Ongoing transformation in our life. Now listen, he says put on. He gives us some descriptions here. All these are characteristics of the person of Christ. He says put on compassion. The word compassion there in verse 12 means literally your inward parts. It's the seat of emotions. It's the seat of affections. It means literally, as a believer, we care. Christ in us, we have a new degree of compassion because it's God's compassion in us. The opposite of the word compassion is indifference. As believers, we can't look in a situation in someone's life or something that's going on. We can't help every situation. We can't change everything. I know that. But we cannot look at something with cold indifference. Why? Christ in us. Compassion. Put on compassion. Then he says kindness. Kindness is love in action. It is acting. It is is willing good towards someone. It is being as concerned for the welfare of my neighbor as I am for myself. It is love and action. Humility. 
Humility is an amazing word because in the original language, in that day, there was no Greek word for humility. It didn't exist. It was so scoffed and so looked at, there was no concept. Paul, in a sense, introduces it, the idea of, wait a minute, consider others as more important than yourself. Listen, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Well, I'm just such a sloth, I'm such a worthless piece of, you know, because guess what? If you're walking around thinking less of yourself, guess who you're thinking about? Self! Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. (laughs) Get that? Humility is having such a high view of God and a high view of others that you're willing to deny self for the good of others. Your welfare is more important than mine. I tell you something, the opposite of that is self-love, and that is a killer of relationships. Killer. Love at its very core gives, self takes. Humility denies self for the good of others. That's Christ in you. Put it on. Put on humility. It says put on gentleness. We hear that word and we think weakness, and we think, no, it's not what that word means at all. The word gentleness literally means power submitted it is the willing, willingness to yield. It is the willingness to suffer for the sake of others. Even when I have the power to do something about it, I'm going to yield my rights. I'm even going to submit my power for your good, and I'm going to take on your pain. We'll see how Christ did that in just a second. Then he says patience. Man, this is, <laughs> then he says in all that, put on patience. And patience is the capacity to endure all of this over a long period of time. Long suffering. The word patience is almost like a shock absorber. You just continue to endure over a long period of time. William Barclay says, This is the spirit which never loses its patience with its fellow man. Even their foolishness and their unteachability never drive this man to cynicism or despair. Their insults and ill treatment never drive him to bitterness or wrath. Patience. Wow. Now, if you haven't noticed yet... All of these descriptors that Paul uses have a common theme. And the common theme is this. How we relate to one another. You see that? Some people think, oh man, I'm going to grow in Christ's likeness. And the idea is I'm going to get as smart as I can. And I'm going to gain as much knowledge as I can. And I'm going to know all these Bible verses. And listen, knowledge, we want to pursue it. We want to grow. We've got to know the truth. But if you think that's it, you're missing it because Here, the manifestation of all that truth and all that knowledge is how you love other people. So here's your second vital truth. Actually, your third. Ready? Transformation, we said, is possible because of our new identity in Christ. We also said that we are called to actively pursue transformation. Number three is this. Transformation takes place and is spurred on within a community of imperfect and flawed people. Ha! In other words, Paul, you're talking about all these attributes that have to do with the way I deal with people as if I'm going to be around difficult people all the time. Welcome to life. And welcome to being a part of a church. I got real disillusioned. I've been real disillusioned in my life because somehow I think, well, you know, I'm in the church and people ought to be perfect. The idea is, yes, we're redeemed. Yes, we're born again, those that know Christ. But man, we still have flaws and imperfections. And here's the reality. We still hurt each other. Don't want to. Don't want to. Paul goes on. Listen to what he says. 
He says this in verse uh, 14, or 13. He says, bearing with one another. Forgiving one another. Paul, why do you say that? Why do you have to say it that way, Paul? Bearing with one another means putting up with one another. Enduring difficult people. Aren't you glad you're not one of those difficult people? It's always the other guy, by the way. Forgiving each other. Forgiving one another. Why do you say that, Paul? Because we're going to hurt one another. We're going to offend one another. Then he says, whoever has a complaint against anyone. The word complaint is an incredible word. The word complaint literally means error of omission. He says, whoever has a complaint, it's not so much that I go and do something against you. It's what I fail to do. Anybody ever been forgotten, left out, omitted? Everybody ever been been frustrated with someone's inabilities or insufficiencies or lack in certain areas? You ever been frustrated with other people's gaps? We all got them. Paul says, if you have a complaint against anyone, then here's where it gets painfully challenging. There's some little phrases in the Bible. Sometimes I wish God would have just left out. You know, you ever like that? In verse 13, just as. Just as. Forgive just as the Lord forgave you. Wow. In other words... You will never be asked to forgive or to endure to a greater greater degree than Christ has forgiven you. Ever. Say, Mike, you you don't know the situation I'm in. You don't know what this person's done to me. You don't know how they've hurt me deeply. You're right, I probably don't. But it cannot even begin to compare with the treason we've all carried out against the God of the universe. And he willingly forgives us. Bear with one another. Forgive one another. Transformation takes place and is spurred on within the community of imperfect and flawed people. God designs it that way. He puts us in situations where kindness is not our natural response or compassion is not our natural response so that we will lean dependently upon Christ in us and the compassion we manifest is His compassion and not mine. See that? Are you saying He will put me in unbearable situations where left to myself I can't handle? Yes. So that the Christ in you manifests His compassion, and I take my selfishness and I lay it aside and I put on Christ and His compassion. And by the way, this is not a one-time thing. This is like every minute. Compassion, kindness. Listen, I I was thinking about this week and trying to figure out how to really help help us see this. I, I was thinking about how much of the incarnation of Jesus helps us understand all this, that God became a man. God living in a perfect situation in the Trinity. And by the way, I don't think there were any arguments within the Trinity between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, Holy Spirit just gives them my nerves. He, no, that perfect harmony. Christ steps out, if you will, takes on flesh, and walks among sinful, flawed human beings. Imagine walking with Peter as Jesus. Peter, God, you're driving me nuts, Peter. What'd you think before you talk? What do you? 
And we laugh at this one. How about this one? How, have you ever said, man, hypocritical people drive me crazy. I can't stand to be around hypocritical people. Watch this. Imagine walking with Judas for three and a half years. When you knew what he was thinking. And Jesus endured with patience and long-suffering and kindness and compassion for three and a half years with the man he knew was going to betray him and was speaking lies out of his mouth. Did Jesus demonstrate compassion? Are you sitting here alive? <laughs> That's compassion. That he looked upon you and looked upon me and felt compassion and acted on our behalf. He cares. Did he demonstrate kindness? We are the fruit of his kindness. Did he demonstrate humility? Did God humbled himself and took on flesh and walked among broken, sinful people and put our needs even before his own? Gentleness? Remember, gentleness is power submitted. Jesus going to the cross, going to die on the cross. He has the power with a word to destroy everything in front of him, to send 10,000 legions of angels to take care of these Roman guards. He didn't have to do that. He submitted that power in gentleness and watch, took my pain. Suffered for me. So when you look at Christ, you see this, this, this kindness and this compassion and all this that Paul's talking about is not, okay, Mike, you try harder. You try to generate all this compassion. You just work hard. No, you behold the Son of God. And the Spirit of God takes that and grows and develops what we were not before because it's Christ in us. Beautiful. Then Paul kind of sums all this up in verse 14. He, he really kind of gives you a summary statement. And you say, why couldn't you just start with that summary and save us a lot of time? Well, preaching doesn't work that way. I've got to talk for a while. Verse 14. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. All these are manifestations of the perfect love of God shed abroad in our hearts Believers, you and me that know Christ, have a greater capacity for radical, selfless, supernatural love than any human being on the planet. Christ in us. Not sentimentality, not emotionalism, not I fell into love and it takes over and I can't control it. Some of that's, I get part of it. Here's love, ready? Choosing to will the good of another. I'm going to fight for your good. No matter how you treat me, no matter how you respond to me, I'm going to choose to work and will for your good. What's this? For your sake, not just for mine. <laughs> for your sake. It's love. It says, above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us in perfect harmony. Now, I hope the next five minutes or so are going to be incredibly helpful for you like it was for me. So, man, I read this, and I'm like, okay, I, I want that. I, I, want, I, I see those gaps. I, I want to show kindness to my family. I want to show kindness to those I'm trying to serve. I want to show compassion to the people in our community. I, again, those gaps are there. Okay, how does this happen? Help. Verse 15. Paul's writing here, and he says to these believers, okay, let's get really practical. I'm going to give you some help. He says, let the peace 
of Christ rule in your hearts. Stop right there. What does that mean? If you haven't memorized any of the verses in Colossians through this series, I, I strongly encourage you to memorize verse 15 and 16. Absolutely life transformational. Okay, what, what does it mean? The peace of Christ. I think when Paul's writing this, he has several things in mind. I think he has the idea of at least positional peace, meaning in Christ, hostility with God is over. I'm not his enemy. He's not my enemy. He's replaced hostility with friendship. I'm in perfect right standing. There's no hostility. Romans 5.1, having been justified by faith, we are having, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are in a state of peace with God. That's a reality. Never changes. Why? Because I'm in Christ. I'm in Christ. Christ is in me. But I also think Paul had to have this in mind as well. The peace of Christ is positional. We just said that. But it's also practical. Daily experiencing the very peace of soul that Jesus Christ himself experienced. This is immense to me. I want you to get this. I'm convinced that when Paul writes the peace of Christ, the peace that belongs to Christ, he had to have John 14, 27 in mind. You don't have to look there. I want you to just listen to this. I'm going to read this over you. Paul's writing to Colossians. He had to have the words of Jesus in his mind. John 14, Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. He's hours away. His disciples are they're, they're messed up. They don't know what's going to happen. Jesus has said, I'm leaving. I'm going away. They're like, what are you talking about? We've given three and a half years of our life to you. And they were horrified, and they were afraid, and they were scared. They didn't understand. And here's what Jesus said. John 14, 27. Jesus, peace I leave with you. Now listen. My peace I give to you. My peace. In other words, I'm going to come and indwell you and the very peace that I have. The word peace here is taken from the word shalom, the Hebrew word, which means overall wellness of soul. The disposition of my soul that it is well. We just sang about it. There is a rightness to my life. No matter what's going on around me, there's a position of peace, of stability, of health. There's a wellness and a rightness of soul. Jesus walked on the earth that way. It was the peace of Christ. And he says to his disciples then and to you and me now, this is immense. My peace I give to you. And he goes on and he says, not as the world gives. You're not going to get it from the world. You're not. Paul said, keep seeking the things above, not the things that are on earth. Things on earth don't bring this kind of peace, ever. Christ. And then he says this. Do not let your heart be troubled. The idea was their heart was coming apart. They were becoming unraveled. They were... They were He said, do not let your heart be troubled. That's the opposite of this kind of peace. Then he says, do not let your heart be fearful. That's the opposite of this kind of peace. Wellness of soul. Unchanging. The peace of Christ. So Paul says to these believers there, listen. Let the very peace of Jesus himself rule in your heart. What does that mean? 
Rule means the dominant factor. Rule means the greatest influencer. The one who is in charge. Literally the idea of rule here is the word umpire, which means to guide the outcome of an event. It's the word back in those days of an umpire who would guide the outcome of a sporting event. Here's the practical application. This is immense. Therefore, as believers, we make decisions from a place of peace versus a place of anxiety. As believers, we deal with others from a place of peace versus agitation and frustration. Therefore, from this place of peace, I am able to show the compassion of Christ. From this place of peace, I'm able to demonstrate kindness. Watch, even when the person or the situation drives me crazy. Because this peace is not based on circumstance. It's based on the unchanging character of Christ. See that? This internal wellness of soul flows out into every area of our life. Paul, with the words in the the mind of Jesus, my peace I give to you, says this, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. And let me just tell you something. Practically, everything in your life fights against this peace. Everything. If you think this is a one-time-a-day thing where you say, oh, man, I got that peace. Well, it, 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 listen, you're fighting for this peace. <laughs> so it doesn't make sense, fighting for peace. You're fighting to claim the promises of God that give peace. See that? Say, okay, how do I get that? Where does it come from? Quickly. Verse 16 is directly connected to verse 15. You can't separate the two. He says, let the peace of Christ, the wellness of soul, dwell in you. Okay, how do I get that? Verse 16, let the word the word about the Christ or the word of the Christ or directly here from the New American Standard says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. With all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another. We'll come back to that in a minute. The word of Christ. The promises of who Jesus is. The person of Christ that's laid out in the Gospels. You can say collectively, the word of God that's been given to us. Does it dwell richly within you? Now, I think when Paul said Colossians 3.16, he had John 16.33 in mind. Listen to this. Jesus, continuing with his disciples, says, These things I have spoken to you. Why, Jesus? So that in me you may have peace. So Jesus is like, I've given you my peace. I'm going to dwell inside of you. But my peace is manifested in you and is directly proportional to the place that you give my word in your life. And Paul takes that in Colossians 3 and says, Listen, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, to which you were called in one body. In other words, this is how you relate to one another. And be thankful. It overflows from that. How does that happen? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching of Christ, person of Christ. Man, I bury myself in the Gospels. I think throughout the day. 
practically, here's how Jesus would have responded. Here's what Jesus did. We see the person of Christ. And listen, when we read from the scriptures and we get that in our hearts, we see here's what Jesus would have done. Here's how Jesus handled this. Jesus is living his life out through me. And I deal with people with his compassion, his kindness, his love, his courage, his peace. See? All that overflows. Doesn't stay in. Says with all wisdom. It's really practical, and I'm going I'm to finish with this. He says, with all wisdom, I'm in verse 16, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing. That's the positive idea of teaching. Admonishing is a negative idea of correcting. Teaching, admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, truth, singing. Singing is the overflow of a heart saturated with truth. Singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. In other words, the body of Christ is to function. I need you te- your teaching. I need your admonishing. I need you speaking truth into my life. We're to function that way. We're to admonish one another, correct one another. But listen, I'm really not interested in your best opinion. And you don't need mine. So the idea is that the peace of Christ rules in our hearts coming from as we cling to the promises of what Jesus has said and who Jesus is. And then we're, watch, watch this, see the circle? And we are living in community of broken people and God uses one another in the process of sanctification. That's the way it works. Change is possible through Christ in us. Final verse, 17, sums it up. It's kind of a summation of all of it. You said you could have just read that, but you had missed a lot. Verse 17, whatever. Whatever. All of life. It's not talking about just what you do on, at church on Sunday. I'm not talking about just your, your, your spiritual area of life, and then I've got my secular area of life. No, you don't. You've got your life. He says, whatever, whatever you do in word or deed, do all of it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Meaning, maturity and progression towards Christ-likeness is this. When my words and my actions progressively become naturally and instinctively more like Jesus. And my natural reaction and my natural response as the peace of Christ rules and the word of Christ dwells is I am responding just like Jesus would have responded. I'm deciding just like Jesus is deciding because it's him in me. See? I'm treating others with the character of Christ. I see myself as God sees me. I see you as God sees me. And all of that is made possible because of the grace of God given freely to you. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Bow your heads. Incredible truth team's going to come and we're going to stand and we're going to sing in just a few minutes but before we do that I'm urging you to take just a few minutes right there in your seat before the Lord and respond you say what does that look like I don't know (laughs) it may be that 
I would imagine in a group this size, there's some of you here this morning and you've never been born again. You've never come to the place in your life you realized I'm empty, I have nothing, I've got to give up on my own efforts, quit the religious game, and I need to be born again by Jesus Christ, Savior, Lord. He died, He rose again, He loves you, and if you right now are wrestling with that, that is God at work in you, respond in faith and repentance. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. That you call out to him and we would love to speak with you personally after the service. You may be here this morning and you are a believer, but and you're not growing for whatever reason, or it's not, it's not very evident. Your life is more characterized by the old garments of your old self than putting on the new garments of Christ. There's just some junk in your life you're refusing to let go and deal with. Or maybe you're here today and you were real honest. You'd say the peace of Christ is simply not ruling in my life. Fear, anxiety, worry, doubt, self. That's what's ruling. Maybe here, here and you'd say, man, the word of God. I just play with it. I come and hear a little bit here and there, but it's not dwelling in my life richly. So whatever the Spirit of God is doing in your soul and your heart this morning, I pray that you respond in faith right there in your seat. Lord, we love you. We need you. We desperately cry out to you. God, we, we beg for the process of transformation into Christ's likeness for your glory. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen.